and the uprightness of prayer. And again, we're looking at the Apostle Paul. Uh, and Ephesians 6 and verse 18 is our uh, key verse tonight. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Someone has said we learn truth best when we see it expressed in a human personality. And this is true of prayer. I think of all of the men of all ages, very few, if any, have excelled as the Apostle Paul in his depth and effect, effectiveness in uh, prayer life, their prayer life. Uh, he was probably at his best when he was praying. And in no area of life did he set a more noble and motivating example. We should be in, uh, thankful for the insight into prayer that Paul's letters give to us. They're filled with uh, these principles of prayer. Uh, nowhere does Paul attempt to explain the possibility or defend the reasonableness of praying. He just takes it for granted uh, and proceeds on the assumption that it's normal, uh, it's an inevitable thing to do for a person that is saved. It's a natural expression of the spiritual life. Now, I'm talking about being in the family of God, that we become children of God when we're saved. Paul saw prayer as flowing naturally from his this relationship of fatherhood and sonship that exists between God and his children. Because we are sons, he has sent his spirit into our hearts, and as a result, we cry with great naturalness, Abba, Father. So, see that expressed in Romans chapter 8, but also we see it in Galatians 4 and verse 6, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our, your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, to Paul, the supernatural presented no problem. Now, we have to admit that when we get saved, that's a supernatural event. It's a miracle that takes place when we get saved. Uh, it's not something that man can do in his own natural state. So in order to be saved, we must believe in the supernatural. We believe in God. Uh, we cannot see or touch uh, a God we cannot see or touch. He saves us. He regenerates uh, us and he redeems us and he gives us a new life. Uh, we believe, as the Bible tells us, that the Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives and we are controlled by the Spirit uh, to live the Christian life. We're going to uh, have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And so it is with prayer. We believe we speak to God who hears and answers our prayers. Now, remember, Paul was saved. He was uh, confronted on the Damascus Road, and his conversion was a supernatural conversion. Anything became possible, and to expect the intervention of God in his own affairs and the affairs of men was obvious. Uh, he acted consistently with that expectation. Uh, he knew no circumstances for which prayer was not appropriate. Now, one writer put it this way, Paul believed that prayer is not an arbitrary provision for temporary circumstances, but 
that it is fixed in the ways of God and in the harmony with the settled relations of the world and the laws of human conduct. And so it was with Paul's conviction that nothing was beyond the reach of prayer uh, that which was out of the will of God. Paul's prayers uh, didn't just happen. Uh, a study of the prayers uh, throughout Paul's letters show that they were anything but careless. Uh, they weren't haphazard. And although they really don't have a formal pattern, they do show very clearly evidence of careful, reverent thought, and they had no doubt the fruit of a lot of meditation in God's Word. Meditating and reading God's Word will improve your prayer life, improve your communication with God. It's just like if, if uh, you're going to communicate with someone else, it's, you communicate better if you know them. You know, if you just meet a person for the first time and, and uh, you might have some things in common you can talk about, but really don't know them, and so the communication doesn't go very far. But the more you know that person, the deeper that friendship or that acquaintance can become, and that's the way it is with God. The more you know him and the more you read his word and meditate on it, memorize it, the more the communication will take place between you and God. So we're going to look at some characteristics of Paul's prayers as he gives us an example of the uprightness of prayer. His prayers were full of Christ. Full of Christ. In Romans, to the Roman Christians, he wrote, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He wasn't a southerner, but he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So it's because Paul's prayers were full of Christ that we see them as prayers of stimulating power. Again, someone has said, our prayers are so cold and dry because there's so little of Christ in them. A charge that can be laid upon all too many prayers, both private and public. It's been suggested that to stand at Paul's prison door must have been somewhat like listening to our Lord's high priestly prayer in the upper room. And what depth of adoration, what height of thanksgiving, what breadth of intercession they must have expressed. And so we note that many times Paul just kind of burst out in praise, which, of which Christ is the object of his praise. So his prayers were full of Christ. Secondly, his prayers were unceasing. Several passages uh, indicate this in Ephesians 1.16. Uh, cease not to give thanks for you all, or for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Uses the word cease not. Philippians 1.4, always, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Colossians 1.9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease 
to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Someone might say, well, this is an exaggeration. Uh, and so meaning uh, could be more, uh, made more clear if we talked about his prayer being incessant instead of not having ceased. You know, when a person has an incessant cough, like your preacher did a few weeks ago, he just couldn't stop. Uh, it's a reoccurring cough. I still have it somewhat every once in a while. And this is the idea be behind Paul's statements. You know, when you get a cold or a cough, it's not something you say, okay, now I'm going to cough. No, it just happens, right? And sometimes it happens when you don't want it to happen, and it just keeps happening. That's kind of the idea of, of Paul's unceasing prayer. It's just because he couldn't help it. Uh, these Christians that he was ministering to were constantly on his heart, and whenever his mind was uh, turned to them, he would pray for them. Again, another author uh, on this aspect of Paul said, it is not possible for us to spend all, all out time with words of prayer on our lips. We can't say just, you know, we can't just be walking around praying, 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 praying. We can't do that and get our work done or do what we need to do. But he says, it is possible for us to be all our days in the spirit of prayer, realizing our dependence upon God for all that we have and are realizing something of his presence with us, wherever we may be, and yielding ourselves continually to him for doing of his will. Uh, where there was such an inward state, we will find outward expression in verbal prayer. And in this connection, we should notice the frequent prayers throughout Paul's letters. Prayer was so natural, so continual, with Paul that it found its way inevitably into his, his writing. So thirdly, his prayers were filled with thanksgiving. Now we talked a lot about that last week. He found much to be thankful for in those for whom he prayed. I believe in this he has something important to say to us. For most of us find it much easier to see things with which we find fault. It's easier for us to be critical than it is to be thankful. You ever notice that how many negative things we pray for? Sometimes we, we pray for negative things. We pray uh, about, about things when there's trouble. We pray for things about when there's sickness, there's distress, or there's a crisis. Now, it's not wrong to pray for those things. It seems like our prayers so many times are filled with the more negative things. I think it would be good for us to have times of prayer when all we do is praise and thank the Lord for his goodness. Not only in our lives, but especially in the lives of others. Notice uh, some causes for thanksgiving. Uh, he was thankful for the widespread knowledge of the faith of the Roman Christians. We read Romans 1, verse 8, says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He was thankful for the knowledge of the faith of those 
in the Roman church. Secondly, he was thankful for the enlarged faith and the deepened love of the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. He was thankful for the faith, hope, and love of the Colossian believers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And there's the idea of unceasing. But then he goes on and says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have for all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Uh, he was thankful for God's deliverance of him from the body of death. In Romans 7, he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So he was thankful. His prayers were filled with thanksgiving. Number four, his prayers were unselfish. Now, most of them were concerned with other people and their needs, especially the needs of those who had come to Christ under his ministry and the young churches that he had, he had established. Intercession was his lifeblood. His prayer for his converts not only evidenced his deep pastoral concern, but revealed that he thought to be their needs being the most pressing needs. Again, some examples of this. First of all, he desired that their love would abound in knowledge. Uh, in Philippians 1 and verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. You know, he prays that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment or discernment. We're to love all believers in Christ. Some of the believers are not so easy to love, are they? Some of our friends are difficult to love. We're to love even the unlovely. But we're to love with knowledge and with discernment. Doesn't mean we get all sloppy love over them but we are to have discernment and show concern and love. Sometimes people come to church and they wonder, you know, if they can, you know, have a, you know, I, I'm saying they come by the church, not to church, but they might come by the church when I'm in my office and they might say, well, can I have a few dollars for gas? Or can you put me up someplace for for lodging? Or I'm, I need some foods. Of course, if we can do that, we can show love, but we we'll also need discernment. I rarely ever give anybody money because I probably think that's probably going to either go for drugs or cigarettes or alcohol. So you have to have discernment about those things. If they want a handout, uh, if they, you give them money, they'll probably buy something that 
they really don't need. I mean, I had a lady come by my church, first church I pastored that she just won $2. Well, what was $2 going to get her? I don't even think you can buy cigarettes for $2 anymore. But uh, you have to have discernment concerning these things, but you have to, have to show love as well. Secondly, he desired that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Colossians 1. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He was desi his desire for others was they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then thirdly, he desired that they would prove worthy of their calling. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that your, our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith and power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He desired that they would be kept clean from sin. 2 Corinthians 13, 7. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that ye should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. He desired... Uh, that they be united in love and encouraged, Colossians 2.2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of, the, of God and of the Father and of Christ. So uh, Paul's prayers were unselfish. He prayed for others in all kinds of areas of life. But then also, in this same area, his prayers were affectionate and sincere. How many of us could say with Paul, as he did in Philippians 1.8, For God is my record how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Or could we say, you know, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He had a, a, a great affection and sincere concern about those who needed to be saved, even of his, his own brethren. And then his prayers were covetous. Now, that may be a strange word to use in a positive sense, isn't it? You know, we say uh, covetous, covetousness is, is not necessarily a good thing. But we're using it here in the highest sense, and it seems Paul uh, uh, craved prayer for himself. Not in, no sense of, of self-sufficiency, but he regarded prayer as a joint operation. No doubt you've heard someone say, we covet your prayers. You know, we've, we've used that 
uh, phrase, or you've heard it used. We covet your prayers for us. Missionaries may say that. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, ye also helping together by prayer for us, he says, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks be given by many of our, on our behalf. Uh, I think uh, some had helped him in the ministry in a financial way. And yet he said the best compensation I could receive would be prayer interest of those who had been a blessing through uh, his ministry. He saw the prayers of his friends as a determining factor in his service. He asked the Ephesians to pray for a bold utterance for him. Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 20 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me. Now, he was coveting their prayers. He, he was praying that, he was asking for prayer that he would, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may be open, my, I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I speak boldly as I ought to speak. He wanted people to pray for him as he went about his ministry, that he had boldness. And he asked the Colossians, uh, to pray for him that he would have an open door in Colossians 4. said, continue in prayer, watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. He asked for prayer for deliverance. In 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, he said, and finally, my uh, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. So he, his prayer was that, uh, or his desire was to have prayer in his behalf. But then uh, his prayers were strenuous. Strenuous. Now, the words he used to reveal his prayers, true nature. He referred to his prayer for the Colossians as being a conflict, a struggle. Colossians 2.1, he said, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for uh, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now, when he uh, uh, talked about conflict there, uh, he was talking about the word which is agon, which means conflict or fight or contention. And it's interesting as even we hear about the preparations for the Olympic Games this summer. Uh, here's a word that's not a word from which we get the word agony, agon, is not for agony, although that's certainly related, but here's a word that speaks of a contest, a struggle. It's the same word used in passages such as uh, Colossians uh, 1, uh, 29, referring to a laboring man at his daily work. Whereunto I also labor, striving, that's the word there, striving according to his working which worketh in me right mightily, 
It's the word striving. And he's talking about a labor, laboring man that strives in his work. Sometimes people have work that's strenuous. It's a struggle. And uh, for me, it's more of a mental struggle than a physical one. But I've worked some physical jobs. And I know what it's like to strive as I labor. And so it's, it's talking about a laboring man at daily work. And second, it's talking about an athlete that competes. 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So he's talking about the striving like an athlete would strive. Uh, he's also talking about a soldier on the, the battlefield. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. That's the same idea there in striving. Fight, lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession among, before many witnesses. And the whole picture is one of intense involvement. And that describes his prayer. Now, he describes his prayer in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, we wrestle. Here's the, a similar idea of wrestling. I don't know if you've uh, ever watched a wrestling match. Uh, we used to have wrestling matches uh, in the front room of our house until one day uh, my son went to a wrestling camp and he learned some moves that I didn't know how to deal with. And I said, that's it. We're done. You're it. You're the, you're the winner. No, uh, we had a lot of wrestling going on at Maranatha when we were there. But uh, uh, that's striving uh, there. But we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I read of a Sunday school teacher who had been used of God to see many of her students saved. After she died, there was a simple diary uh, entry that was found to say, among other entries, the three following sentences. And her, uh, you might note, she referred to her students as scholars. She said, she resolved to pray for each scholar by name. And she resolved to wrestle in prayer for each scholar by name. And then she resolved to wrestle for each by name and expect an answer. A wonderful testimony by a woman who had been used as a Sunday school teacher to see many of her students saved, her scholars well, I hope we can see here a great example of a man of prayer. He was a man of uprightness, and he prayed prayers of uprightness. The Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in the word. We pray, Lord, that as we read Paul's letters, we uh, will see and, and how he was a man of prayer. Uh, he wasn't a man who was selfish about his prayer. He was unselfish. Yes, he desired the prayers of others that he might be used of you to see souls saved. 
I pray, Lord, we'll have an uprightness about our prayer life as well. Help us not to be selfish, just praying about the things we think we need or want, but help us to pray uh, with discernment and judgment. Help us to know your word so our prayers will be more effective. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.